Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, so welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. This is our last show of the year, and today we are going to be discussing the best books of the year and doing our yearly book superlatives. I think this is the third year in a row that we've done it. Our first one was with Sarah from Sarah's Bookshelves, and then last year we had Catherine Center join us in the book superlative game. So this is the first time it's just you and me, Gail. That's kind of nice. I mean, nothing against Catherine and Sarah, but it's kind of nice to have it just be us. So um, have you read anything since we last spoke? Anything new? Um, I finished um, two things. I finished Anne of Green Gables, which I know we're going to talk about in an episode next year. And we talked about it a bit last week. So I'll leave that out. And I read a book called um, Alone Together, which is a collection of poetry and essays by authors about the pandemic. So it's been written, it was written, uh, most of the, the stuff was in there was written in like the first three months of Corona. So we're talking March, April, May. And it is a collection that benefits independent bookstores. So if you buy the book, the proceeds or part of the proceeds go to independent bookstores. And it's just a bunch of authors sort of writing about what they're feeling. And it's divided loosely into sections about like loss and hope and connection and loneliness and things like that. It was pretty good. Um, there's some names that you'll recognize, Caroline Levitt, um, trying to remember some of the other authors that were in there. Definitely people I've heard of before, some I have not. And it was an interesting collection. So I recommend that, and especially because it's for such a good cause. Um, the sad thing is, of course, that like they're talking about how awful everything is. <laughs> it's like May. <laughs> of course, we're now in December. And it's exactly the same. Right. So it, um, I don't know. It's having more the, awful, there have been yeah. more deaths. There's, things are more awful. Like the, the sort of the things that everyone is lamenting continued so far long beyond where they're writing it and will continue. So, um, I, you know, you just sort of have to like put it in a bit of perspective, but, uh, cause the book came out a couple months ago, like it just took me a little while to get to it. So I like that a lot. And then as far as what I'm reading now, um, I'm still doing the exiles on audio because I interrupted that to do Anne of Green Gables on audio. So back to the exiles, which is historical fiction by Christina Baker Klein. And I'm also reading Una out of order to fulfill the time travel category of my book challenge. Cause I still have three books to read. We're now at December uh, 20th. I have to read three books for that by the end of the year, but I think I can do it. So you have 11 days. I have 11 days. I think I can do it. I, I'm, I'm Are you going to be taking some time off? Yeah, I'm taking work. off, yeah, between Christmas and New Year. So I've got some mm-hmm. days in there where I'll be able to do a little bit more. So how about you? So I finished The Night Swim by Megan Golden. Um, that was an enjoyable one. It was about a woman who has had two successful seasons of a podcast, and she wants to keep her game up. 
So she moves into this small town in order to cover a rape trial there. But while she's there, she begins receiving these notices from the family member of a woman who died in mysterious circumstances 25 years before. Um, so it was, it was a good book. It was, you know, it, it satisfied my, I feel like where I am in my reading right now, where I'm leaning heavily on the mystery thriller genre to propel me through reading books. I thought it was an interesting take on how something, um, a trial can split a small town, how different people are on different sides, depending on just the economics of the town, where they live, how they interact with each other. And it sort of had, I guess, sprinklings of the Stanford rape case and the fact that this this man who has committed this crime is a swimmer. So it talks a lot about you know, how, how his future will be ruined um, if he's convicted of this trial. You know, just lots of how his life has changed and, and very little in what it has done to a, the teenage girl mm-hmm. whom he assaults. So it, it tied in a lot of elements too, you know, with podcasts. I think she's trying to balance out being responsible and also having, getting the ratings that she needed. So it was, you know, it was an interesting look at that. Hmm. That sounds good. Is there yeah, any violence in it? 3.5. No, I mean, no, there's descriptions of the assault. Right. But told at the trial. No in the moment violence. Mm-hmm. So that's what I finished up. And I think that brought me to 41 books finished. Oh, that's like more than you thought you were going to get to. I think. And I'm just trying to, and I think that I will probably, okay, 42 books finished. I had set my goal at 45, my revised goal, Mm -hmm. but I think I'll make it to 52. Yeah. Because I have quite a few books that I'm, didn't finish for whatever reason earlier in the year. They just weren't hitting me right. So I have a couple of things that I want to finish. And then I have a couple of books that I'm planning to read that are not very long. So we'll see. I will report back in the new year as to how I did. Okay. <laughs> Good. And in the right. new year too, I will be revealing the categories for the 2021 reading challenge for my blog. <laughs> I've got, I think I've got them down but I'm not going to post them until the beginning of January. Are they similar? Um, a couple holdovers and then a bunch of new ones. I mean, nothing crazy, but I've got some new Things ideas. Things you think you'll enjoy reading. Yeah. yeah. That's good. All right. So we had some book news, Gail. Yes. Okay. So our boyfriend um, came out with his yearly reading list. That would be Barack Obama for those of you tuning in for the first time. So he picked 17 books uh, of his, of the year that were his best. And Nicole and I wanted to talk about them. There's not a lot of surprises on this list. I feel like he picked a lot of books that I'm seeing on a lot of other lists, which I'm a little surprised mm-hmm. by because I feel like usually he's got something a little different. Um, we will link to this in the show notes. But... Uh, 
let's see, some of them, Homeland Allergies, Jack, Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, The Splendid in the Vile, Luster. I mean, all of those I've seen on tons of lists. How Much of These Hills is Gold, Long Bright River, Memorial Drive, Twilight of Democracy, Deacon King Kong, The Undocumented Americans, The Vanishing Half, The Glass Hotel, Hidden Valley Road, The Ministry for the Future, Sharks in the Time of Saviors, and Missionaries by Phil Fly. So of this list, I've only read two, which are Long Bright River and The Vanishing Half. So I don't have like much to say about it. Do you, what were your thoughts when you saw this list? Uh, I think that there are a lot of, he has a lot of mainstream picks on it. Mm-hmm. I just wonder too, though, I mean, you have to think that when he was president and I guess he's four years removed from that. Four I know very he, long years. Four very long years <laughs> removed from that. He probably had to, I think that he was always balancing uh, what was appropriate, I guess, reading material. I think that he probably had some constraints while he was president. And I just wonder if maybe each year as he gets more removed from that, is he just kind of, you know, can read things that are more mainstream. Like, I wonder if there's just less choice and we're seeing more of his natural inclination. And Mm. some of the, I mean, a lot of these books would be books that, that I would think he'd want to read. I mean, Luster by, you didn't read Luster, did you? Mm -mm. I have it, but I haven't read it. Yeah. I, I I feel like a lot of these are on my shelf. Mm -hmm. So I don't have Homeland Elegies, but I do have Cased. How much of these hills is gold? I feel like was on a list at some point when we were, talking about which book, which books were new out that we were interested in reading. Yeah. Memorial Drive, I read. It's fantastic. Uh, I'm not surprised that he read that one because I feel like she was Poet Laureate when he was president, mm-hmm. Natasha Trethaway. Uh Deacon King Kong, James McBride, I feel like has anticipation factor with his books. The Undocumented Americans is on my shelf. Of course, I read The Vanishing Half. Glass Hotel is on my shelf. Hidden Valley Road was one that I mentioned that I wanted to read. So this jives perfectly with me. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I mean, and it's also, he's touching on, you know, themes of, there's, you know, a lot of, I'm just looking over it. Well, I, what's interesting actually to me is that it feels, um, not necessarily as issues driven as I think some of his other lists have been. I think that's kind of what you're hitting on. Like when he was president, the lists had to, and so I, I think he probably did feel pressure to have pick books that were kind of relevant to topics on his agenda or things in his, you know, issues that were, you know, especially prevalent throughout his presidency. Whereas these, I do think you're right, maybe are a little bit more of like him walking into a bookstore and picking up what he actually just really wants to read. These are overwhelmingly fiction too. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Maybe you don't get issues books in terms of nonfiction, but I feel like the books that Deacon King Kong is set in Brooklyn, I think in the 
early 1960s. It's a lot about how the Black community is being affected by drugs, how they are affected. You know, I think the neighborhood is on a border of an Italian working class neighborhood. So there are some racial considerations there. Long Bright River was another highly anticipated one, but it's also about a marginalized community in the prostitutes who live on these streets and who are being stalked by a killer. And drugs, drug crisis. And drugs, yep. right. Uh, Luster by Raven Alani is sort of, <laughs> I was on a conversation with the author. I was on a pod, not a podcast, but uh, they were streaming a conversation with the author. And I think they asked Raven Lalani and also the author of Such a Fun Age, whether they thought that they were millennial books and whether they felt insulted by that. And they didn't say that they did, but just lots of millennial themes in terms of not entering, not ever finding your footing because you entered the the job market when the economy wasn't strong, you know, participating in jobs that are, I guess, beneath your capabilities, not being able to have your own house. It was just a lot of themes like that. Mm -hmm. So I think the issues are there. I think that it's more that they are novels. Yeah. I mean, I guess Hidden Valley Road is nonfiction as well as Cased. I don't know what the ministry uh, for the future is. I'm not sure. Maybe that that is and Sharks in the Time of Strangers. But out of 17 yeah. books, it looks like four. Yeah. I think he likes fiction a lot more than he was letting on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or he's just escaping this year like everyone else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he didn't want to pick up that heavy stuff anymore. Yeah. And he was often I mean, writing his own book. Right. I wonder how much that drove it as well. I mean, that if you're doing so much work on a nonfiction book and you are, I mean, he had to have been reviewing the his, the historical sure. things that happened to him, researching details. So I'm sure that you don't want to dive into something that's fact. You probably want to relax in a story. Yeah. But it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I guess we'll see his mid-year picks and his picks for next year. Yeah. So in addition to this, he also had, what was his inclusion? Was it TV series that he had not done before? Like he usually does movies uh, or music yeah. or were those the new? What did he? Well, yes. I think he added what he streamed. Uh, what was on it? Uh, for TV series, it was Better Call Saul, The Queen's Gambit, I May Destroy You, The Boys, The Good Lord Bird, Devs, The Last Dance, Mrs. America, The Good Palace, and City So Real. And I think a lot of those two are kind of buzzy things that you probably want to be in on the conversation about. What's Devs? Do you know anything about that? I don't know anything about that. Huh. I'll have to check out his list. We'll find that. I May Destroy You, I know, was was received a lot of buzz. I saw that in a lot of places and so did the Queen's Gambit. Yeah. I'm halfway he, through that he right saw now. a number of movies. The Queen's Gambit? Yeah. It's really good. Have you watched it? I haven't. Oh, it's good. I like it. Is it novel-like? Um, I swear character-driven. It's about a, a girl who becomes a chess prodigy and then kind of about her life. But she's like living in an orphanage and then she gets adopted at like age 15. So there's a lot of complicated stuff in there, but I, yeah, it's, I mean, for some people who like literature, I think it's maybe based on a book. 
So yeah, I recommend that a lot. Also highly recommend um, Ted Lasso. I don't know if you've watched that. That's awesome. Is that a show or is that a movie? It's a show. It's on Apple TV. Is it Apple TV? And it's, it's hilarious. It's about a, um, American football, college football coach who's hired by the owner of a soccer team in England to coach the team because she wants the team to fail terribly because it was her ex-husband's team and pride and joy and now they're divorced and she's mad at him. So she wants to run the team into the ground. So she hires this guy who knows nothing about soccer and um, he's played by Jason Sudeikis and it's, it's hilarious and it's touching and it's sweet and funny. It's just, everything about it is great and it's only half an hour. So it's a very manageable show to watch and it's only one season so far, but it's, it's just like, it's a very positive, but funny and surprisingly smart show. So I recommend it. Are you watching anything else that you would tell people to put on their list? Um, I'm watching The Undoing right now. Okay. And that we had mentioned in our books to movie show, the one with Hugh Grant, Nicole Kidman, and Donald Sutherland, I believe. It's starting, I'm going to watch a little bit more today, but it's starting to annoy me in that I feel like there's just very unrealistic things happening. Like, Nicole Kidman, she is, I guess, moderately wealthy Upper West Sider. And she beca- part of the plot is she becomes embroiled in something, like a woman who was just on the fringe of her mom's group and who attended school with her son is murdered. And she's being questioned in this. And they just have her running around talking to police without a lawyer. And it's just like, that would just never happen. <laughs> just yeah. Right. So that's just, it's, that's just bugging me. So I'm going to try to put that aside and to continue to watch this story, but they just, uh, yeah, just like no woman of any kind of means in New York, I don't think is just inviting people in without a search warrant, (laughs) going to the police station to be questioned with no call to an attorney. It's just, I just don't think that would happen. Hmm. (laughs) So I'll see if I can get through the, through the rest of it. And, um, if it's any good. I mean, besides those glaring things that were, I think this is in the second episode by the time that starts happening, I just have little patience for stuff that is just so, that could be so easily fixed, I feel like, but it doesn't have to be even be a thing right. that you're wondering about. Unless you're just taking a shortcut into her implicating herself or whatever. I'm not, I'm not sure where it's going yet, but all right, that's on my list to watch. So. All right, so <laughs> I'll report back. I'm sure I'll, I will finish it by the okay. next time we speak. So Goodreads has released their My Year in Books, and that's where you can go and you can click, and it will give you a brief summary of the things that you've read. So I took a look at mine for 2020, and it said that this year I've read 13,617 pages so far, over 42 books. Uh, Little Fires Everywhere is the most popular book that I've read. A million five hundred thirty-seven thousand and two hundred eighteen people have it on their shelf. The least popular is a book called A Woman Like Her by Sanam Mayer. 
and only 4,591 people have that on their shelf. And that that's sad because I really like that book. I listened to it on audio and maybe that is part of the reason because it looks like it says only from Audible on audio, but you can still read the book. But it's about the social media star whose name was Kandil Baloch. And she was killed um, by her brother in an honor killing. And it led to a change in legislation because I think before, if you were forgiven by your parents or something to that effect in Pakistan, that was like your sentence was commuted. You didn't have to go to jail. So part of her death was relevant in changing that law to make it so that these men who kill their sisters or their wives or whatever for for honor killings actually do have to face the consequences and go to jail. That was a good book. What was that called again? A Woman Like Her. Okay. Did you look at your summary at all, Gail? I did. I got it yesterday. Um, I read 19,110 pages. Um, my most popular, or I guess the highest, oh yeah, most popular book I read was Normal People. And the least popular one was Tea by the Sea by Donna Hemans. Um, How many people had shelved Tea by the Sea? 730. Ooh. Yeah. Hello. Um, I want to read that. Yeah. My highest rated book that I read was In the Dream House. My highest rated book was Say Nothing. So I guess it did mm. better than In the Dream House because I read In the Dream House too. Yeah. Um, I looked at the previous year where I read 90 books. That's kind of interesting. Well, yeah, it's about double. It's 27,629 pages read. So... It says that the longest book that I read too was Say Nothing, 519 pages. And the shortest was Barracoon by Zora Neale Hurston. And it was 193 pages. My longest one is deceptive. It's Howard Stern Comes Again at 549. But that's not, that's not, I mean, it's not like every page is full. So that, I think that's uh, deceptive. Inflated? Yeah. Okay. My shortest book is Heating and Cooling, which I think I talked about on the last show. 112 pages. That's a pretty short one. I thought of you because I was reading this article about, I guess this guy has this book coming out and it was talking about how politicians need to start thinking of Americans uh, treating and I guess marketing the government to Americans because the mindset of most Americans is so much as a consumer that it's hard for them to see what government actually does for them. Um, Like we get hung up on a lot of things and we see the government as not adding value to our lives, but we don't think about things like because of this, you have parks in your cities, you have roads, you know, Mm -hmm. just so much goes into infrastructure. So I was thinking of that book that you read that, you know, manhole covers. It works, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm probably thinking of doing like an amalgamation of of the two books, but yeah, I just picked up another book by her uh, called Anatomy of a Skyscraper, 
And you're just going all in on those. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think she's great. That uh, So that one I just got from the library yesterday. I, I think it will probably become my blow dry book, uh, which is what Alone Together just was. And um, this it looks a little denser than the works. It just seems to be more on a page, but I think it'll be good. So what constitutes a blow dry book for you? What is it that gives <laughs> it, what do you look for? How well, do you make that density? Yeah, I I think it's a book that can be sliced up into small sections. So good examples are that Howard Stern book where each interview was only, you know, three or four pages. The book Alone Together I just read where each essay was about three or four pages. And then the works, you know, you can you can stop very easily after just reading one or two pages because there are, you know, there's it's not like a plot that you want to get super consumed with and that you have a hard time putting down. It's just like, it's just very easy to, to read it in really small doses. So that's, so have they mostly been nonfiction? Uh, there has been a fair amount of nonfiction. Yeah. I think nonfiction lends itself well to that or collections, right. you know, things like that. Right. Um, I would love to see you put a tag on that so we could see all of your blow dry books. Oh, that's a great <laughs> idea. I haven't, uh, I will do that. I'll go back through my blog and note the ones that were blow dry. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. The thing is there's not that many because it takes a long time to get through them. Um, right. Well, that's okay. Yeah. We could just click on the little on the label and it would list your blow That's blow a great dry idea. I'm going to do that. <laughs> So, all right. Well, should we get into our superlatives? Sure. Let's do it. All right. You want to go first? Sure. So should we save, let's save the best of the year for the end. Yes. Okay. I'm going to start out with two books that I have deemed the hardest to put down. So ones that once I got started, I just really was completely consumed with them. And those are going to go to 28 Summers by Elon Hildebrand and Long Bright River by Liz Moore. With, I'm giving the edge to the Long Bright River, which I just, I was on a business trip and like, it was, it was, <laughs> you were sneaking off to read this I book. was sneaking off. Yeah, I was like there, were, I was at a conference and we had like a 40 minute break in between or half an hour break. And I literally went back to my room and read the book. Like I just, I could not put <laughs> I think that I one remember down. That. Yeah. I remember you saying you were in your hotel room when you should be somewhere else yes. and you were reading that book. It was so good. Uh, so that is, uh, yeah. So those are my choices for that. Did you have anything for that category? I did. Um, Confessions of on the 745. I could not put that down. It was a great, it was a great read. Like I want to read more by Lisa Unger now. I'm going to be in search of her books because I mean, I thought it was, it was a thriller, you know, kind of racing to find out just what the story is about this missing nanny, who her husband is, who is this mysterious woman that she has met on the train? So that definitely had me, each time I had an opportunity, I picked up that book. Rachel Harrison's The Return. I don't know that it would normally be a book like that, but that was the book that got me out of my slump. 
So I'm going to give it some credit there. And I would also say, I had one more that I just could not put down. I would say the invisible life of, of Addie LaRue. I really wanted to know what was going to happen. Uh, it It's kind of a strange narrative because it's set in the present day, but when she reflects on her life, like she is going she's tracking her life, I guess, until she gets up to the point where she finally meets the man in the bookstore who knows who she is. So it's set in the present, but it goes back in the past. But each section, I think, had equal weight and I was equally interested. You know, some books, when you have more than one timeline, usually, unfortunately, what happens is you enjoy one timeline better than the other or one is more compelling, but I felt like this was even. So what's next? Um, Okay. So our next category, most disappointing. I always feel a little mean during this one. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's... All right. What do you have? Well, these are based on personal feelings. Yeah. Uh, I have Alex Pavesi, The Eighth Detective. I was really looking forward to it. It's it's a book about books. You know, it is about this woman who is an editor for a publishing house who contacts this man because they want to republish his book that was first published, I believe, something like 40, 30, 40 years ago. So she is meeting with him to review all of these stories and we hear, I think, seven stories. Now, it was like this weird thing where after he read or she read each story that I guess she's supposedly editing that they would go through and she would tell him like, oh, this was the thing that stuck out. That's really weird. And did you do this on purpose? I think that some of the stories, I mean, because basically half of this book is told in these other detective stories, makes it a little bit disjointed, especially when I didn't feel like some of the stories were the greatest stories. I mean, they were kind of, some of them were blatant knockoffs of very popular uh, detective fiction or crime fiction. I think he he did a few plots that were thinly veiled, Agatha Christie's. Um, so there was something dissatisfying about it. And then there are the only two characters in the book other than the characters that we meet in these stories. It wrapped up in an interesting way, but I just was not enamored of the mystery stories that were written. And even though the end was something that was intriguing, I wish they had focused on it more. So that book was disappointing. I was also disappointed in The Golden Cage by Camilla Lackberg. Like just having read her series, I'm not sure if this is because it's a standalone, the subject matter. You know, I wanted to go back and check and see if her translator is the same. Uh, I don't know. I just didn't like this as much as I liked the other books I've read by her. Okay. So what did you have? Okay. I had three. (laughs) Uh, Share my third one. Go share your two. Okay. Your three. So my, you know, when books get too hyped up, oh my God, they don't live up to them. Um, I have Dear Edward, which I thought was an interesting premise about the only survivor of a plane crash, but I, that just did not do it for me. Like, I just thought it was, seemed superficial. It was super unrealistic. And I I just had a really hard time kind of 
connecting with what was going on. It just, I don't know, that book left me cold. Um, then I also have Followers by Megan Angelo. Did we, did you read that too? No. I think at some point you were saying that you wanted to. Um, this you is, maybe put me. <laughs> yeah, I probably deter, deterred you. It's a book about, it's kind of a mystery about, it goes back and forth in two different times, with the future having to do with social media influencers. And then it turns into a thriller and somebody's, <laughs> you know, escaping her, her life in LA where she's on camera 24 seven. Oh, that just was a chore to get through. I, 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 I couldn't, it, it, for a book that was not that long, I just felt like it went on and on and on. And I didn't, I just didn't care about how it ended. I probably should have DNF that book, but I didn't. That's kind of interesting because I think when you talked about it at the time, it wasn't so much all these other things, but it was just that you didn't like anything that was bashing the social media lifeline. Well, I don't mind bashing like, social media. Bro. I mean, I, that part didn't bother me. Like, I, I feel like that's fine. It's certainly worthy of bashing, but it just, I don't know. I think it was supposed to be like futuristic and, you know, prescient. And instead it just felt, it just, it just dragged. I don't know. Didn't like okay. it. And then the last one is All Adults Here by Emma Straub also highly anticipated and it could be a victim of circumstance that it was a little late for this summer, but that book just seemed kind of pointless. Like it was, it, there was so little actual tension or drama in there and the characters really didn't have anything bad happening to them. And it just, I don't know, it felt like, way too light for this year and just not very interesting. All right. So you don't love Emma Stroud. Uh, I liked, um, I'm trying to think of the other two books I've read by her. I read the one that was set in Brooklyn. I like that one. What was that called? Modern Lovers. Modern Lovers. I didn't, I liked that one. And then I think I read another one by her. Did you read The Vacationers? Yes, I did read The Vacationers. I liked that one. I liked that one too. Have you read all of her books? If, if if it's just those three, then I have read all three. I wanted to ask you because I was looking for this and I can't, didn't we do an episode where we talked about all the people, all the books that we were completest for? I don't know if we've done, if we've made like a complete list of those. Hmm. Maybe we didn't. Maybe we just talk about it so regularly with guests. I was thinking that we had because I was trying to figure out which books I have actually read them all. It looks like you haven't read them all because she has Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures. Other People We Married. Yes. I didn't realize she had written as many books as she has. Um, all right. Well, we might need to do a completed show. Or yeah, that'd if, be fun. If, have enough, if we have enough authors that we can talk about. Yeah, that would be great. All right. So my third disappointing book was Catherine House by Elizabeth Thomas. And that is the one that is about this college that you have to basically just cut yourself off from everyone and go and live at Catherine House and be absorbed in its culture. You can't contact your family. You can't have 
a phone. You can't have anything. You're just there for the three years. And of course, some very mysterious things are happening. And uh, I have to say that I, I guessed what was going on, but that didn't bother me so much as, I don't know, there was just like lots of descriptions of them going to class and them like having these odd parties or this, they had this extravagant food delivered to them. It was a lot. I almost want to say it's just, it was more like about the process of them being in this place than it was like, there weren't any really friendships that you could really root for. It didn't seem like the characters had much depth. And then what happens at the end just leaves you wondering. It just left too many questions. There was just nothing that I could take from even a hint of possibility at what was going to happen to the main character at the end. So I was disappointed. Like I wanted, I was expecting something different. All right. What's our next category? Uh, Next category. So the oddest book you've read. (laughs) And mine was The Majesties by Tiffany Sal. And it is about (laughs) these two sisters, I believe, who are living in Singapore. One has been groomed to take over, or both have been groomed to take over the family business, but one is not as interested and she wants to go off on her own and make this company successful. And the company involves like mounting. She takes, she modifies, she's found a way to modify insects like butterflies, like pretty insects and beetles with some kind of either mold or fungus that like takes over their brain, but kind of leaves them alive, but leaves them immobile or something. So she makes these decorative pieces with these bugs. So I guess you could have like a necklace made of it or, you know, like a hairpin or something. And they move like in in particular ways, I guess, according to however she has gotten her sciences to refine the strain of fungi or whatever it is, the parasitic mechanism that controls these things. It was just, that was just so strange. (laughs) That does sound strange. I got to be honest, that sounds strange. So yeah, it's all about this company. And uh, there's a twist, of course, um, coming with this family. But I think the interesting part was that it was set in such a wealthy country, but that is not necessarily always stable. So that it talks about how, you know, there are these crashes of the government regime and, you know, people kind of target people who are wealthy and how, how they live these secluded lives. They had lots of interesting elements, but it was just, that part was just so odd. And it was a big part of the book. Um, okay. So I haven't really read many strange books. Uh, I had a hard time with this category. Um, I think I would put the book, The Shame by McKenna uh, Goodwin. Yeah. Or Goodman. Um, I had trouble with this book. I didn't love it. And I had trouble figuring out sometimes what was sort of reality and what wasn't. And I think I ended up reading this for a book club. And I think, you know, that was a big part of our discussion was sort of like figuring out what was real and what was kind of in her mind. Did stuff really happen or not? It's about a a mother living in kind of a 
uh, rural area in like upstate New York. They, she and her husband have moved there from Brooklyn and just kind of about her feeling discontent with her life or insecure about herself because she's a stay-at-home mom and she's left this life behind. It's kind of like urban life. I don't know. It was, it's definitely not that weird of a book, but of the books I read, that's the one that popped out at me when I saw this category. I just, yeah, it's just sort of too vague for me. All right. So that's one of my short books I'm going to be working on when, for the end of the year. So yeah, you'll read that very quickly. I'm sure it's definitely short. Um, so best audiobook. Best audiobook. Okay. This was a great way for me to sneak in some books that I like my list of best of the year were too long. So I think you <laughs> sneak them in that way. Okay. For me, the best audiobook. Oh, plain song. Kent Haroof. I thought that was a fantastic audio performance. I still hear that narrator's voice in my ears. I thought he did a fantastic job with it. It's a book I loved anyway, and the audio just made it even better. And I also really enjoyed the audiobook for Smacked by Eileen Zimmerman, which is a memoir about a woman whose husband or ex-husband dies of uh, drug addiction and drug-related ailments. And she narrates it herself. She's a great narrator, very clear and precise. She's a journalist. And so the writing is really good. But the fact that you're listening to the person who lived through this makes it even more powerful. So I recommend doing the audio for Smacked. How about you? Mine was very easy. It's, I had another book in mind, but then I forgot that I've read or listened to Sing Unburied Sing this year by Jasmine Ward. And so that just knocked the other book right on out. That was the best audio. It's like probably one of the best audios that I've listened to. That is an excellent audio. I'm glad you put that on the list because I, now I'm thinking I wish I had done that too. So that's great. That's a great pick. That was multi-performer. And they were they were all really strong. Like I'm remembering them now. They were each really strong. Right. That was well cast. Yep. Okay, funniest book. I had a hard time on this one too because I read very little funny books this year. And I think it's very telling that the book I picked is a memoir about a guy who's uh, father is dying of Alzheimer's or not Alzheimer's. He's dying of, um, of ALS. Sorry, not Alzheimer's. He's dying of ALS, uh, which is a super depressing topic. It's called home is burning by Dan Marshall. And it's a really depressing book about a really awful time in his life and like chronicling the, you know, the deterioration of his father. And yet it was really funny. There were parts of it that just made me laugh out loud. So the fact that I picked a book about ALS as the funniest book of the year is probably very telling about the books I read this year, <laughs> but I like that one. Mine was another book that I had kind of forgotten. It seems like the beginning of this year seems so far away, like it could be two years ago or something, but I read Denise, Denise Mina's Conviction. And that, even though... It, uh, it turned into sort of a humorous story. It, in it, two spouses who, I guess they're next door neighbors and their spouses have cheated on them and have left them. And I think her husband has taken their kids off with his wife and they are doing a vacation. 
she had kind of flipped out a little bit when she found out because, you know, they were neighbors and this woman was a very good friend. And of course, now she's going to be stepmother to her kids. So she is had been involved in listening to this podcast that involved some people that she used to know in a previous life. You find out that she has some pretty big secrets that she's hiding about her identity. And she wants to get to the mystery. She has like questions about this podcast because of course she knows the people involved and she wants to get to the mystery of what happened to this man and his children who were supposedly killed on a boat in the middle of the ocean. So I guess the comedic aspect comes in a little bit because it it turns into like this road trip where she is with her neighbor slash ex-best friend, mother, kid's new stepmother. She's with her husband who was like a rock star or whatever, but he's like anorexic, he's sensitive. Uh, and so she has to try to kind of keep him together while she's investigating this. And they go on this road trip, like he can't be left alone because she doesn't want him to relapse. So not that his illness is funny, but just the fact that she is tasked with his care in the middle of everything that's going on just added a little bit of a humorous element. And he's a bit of adult. So (laughs) it was, you know, I don't know that it was written to be funny, but it was just, it probably was. It was a little humorous. So it sounds like neither you nor I read a lot of like traditionally, intentionally funny books. Like, no, well, I never do. You know that. Yeah. And I don't either. So yeah, it's always, this is a tough category for us. Although I am um, going to hopefully read soon the Colin Jost memoir, which is supposed to be very, very funny. So what's next? Okay, next up, most unique storyline. Most unique storyline. I read this book called Remembrance. And it is about, well, Remembrance actually turns out to be a place. Because I think when as I started reading it, I was wondering if it was going to be a person. But it is about this community that's kind of hidden and it's set back pre, just pre-Civil War. So there is this community that is, is a place where runaways go and they are able to live their life. But it's, it's existence in the woods it's like in the middle of everything and its existence in the woods is protected by some sort of magic that this woman who was a former slave acquired. And I think her children and her first husband died in a plantation revolt, but somehow she has the power to hide this community in the middle of the woods. And it is a dual storyline because in, in the beginning you are in modern day and then there's this old woman who is in a nursing home. And it's very clear that there's something strange about her and that she might have powers. And so it is, it's a dual narrative. So it's what's happening in the present with this woman and, and finding out who she is and, and of course, how it links to this this past where uh, the woman's powers who has been hiding this community are on the wane. So that's my vote. Okay. So my vote, I have two for this one. And one of them I'm actually reading right now. So I am not finished with it yet, but it is certainly unique. That is Una out of order. 
which is a time travel book about a woman who every New Year's Eve leaps to a different year of her life. So even though chronologically, she the book starts when she's 18. So even though she only feels like 18, 19, 20, and, and so on, she jumps around. So when, when she turns, her birthday's on New Year's Day. So when she turns 19, she leaps to her 51-year-old self. And when she turns... 20, she leaps to her 27 year old self. So it's, it's like, and she has to live that life for the year. Yeah. She lives that life for the mm-hmm. year. So it's very mind bendy. And it's the type of book that if you think about it too long and try to like logically figure it out, like most time travel books doesn't make sense because time travel doesn't exist. But, um, it's really, it's really yeah. interesting. <laughs> I know. Sorry to, you know, sorry to throw water on that, but, um, <laughs> it's, uh, I really like it it's very different. And, uh, I, it's, you know, I, I think people either love this book or they, or they really dislike this book because again, you have to suspend reality, but yet put yourself in her shoes to try to understand what she'd be going through. And there's definitely holes all over the place, but it's like, if you just kind of like blindly trust it, it's really fun. So I I want to, Sounds, that sounds good. Yeah, I think you would like it. And it takes place in New York. It's really good. So I'm sure by the time this show airs, I will finish that one. I'm reading that for the time travel category of my book challenge, but I, have, I had wanted to read it all year. So I'm glad to have an excuse to do it. And then the other one is not weird or implausible or twisty, but I thought it was unique just compared to the other books I read was His Only Wife by Peace. Midi. And I like that one. It takes place in Ghana and it's about a woman who is in an arranged marriage, a young woman, but she's not, you know, she's not the type to kind of, uh, take things. She's not the type to just accept circumstances the way they are. She kind of fights for what she wants and she's very independent. And it felt very fresh to me and very different, even though I've read other books set in Ghana, but something about the way that was written and about the characters felt really modern and fresh. I really like that one a lot. So I will put that under unique storyline. All right, next. Oh, book that was set the longest ago. That was probably Remembrance for me also, since it it bordered the Civil War, Remembrance by Rita Woods. You know what was historical fiction that I didn't realize is The Vanishing Half. I think we may, we may have discussed I this I think we before. did. Yeah, we talked about that with respect to the Goodreads Choice Awards. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mine is actually another book I'm reading right now, hopefully to be done by the time this airs, and that is The Exiles by Christina Baker Klein. And that is set in 1840, and it is about convicts in England, female convicts who were sent to live in Australia because that's how they populated Australia as a colony. At that time, they sent over people from England. And it takes place just in a couple of years, like 1840 and 1841. And it's a couple of different intersecting storylines about um, two are convicts that are sent from England. And one is a young kind of Aboriginal girl who is adopted by, against her will, 
she's an orphan and she's adopted by some white um, English uh, like army officials who are living in Australia. And the woman is like, oh, this girl looks cute. Let's bring her home. And they kind of raise her as, you know, as an English girl would be raised as opposed to, you know, her upbringing, which was very much part of like a native, native group of people living in Australia. So I'm reading it right now. It's pretty good. It's not like super deep. What's interesting about it is really more the historical context than it is like the character development. It's feels a little, I wouldn't say predictable. It's just not, it's, there's nothing that's that surprising about it, but I am enjoying it just because of learning about this time that I didn't really know anything about. So have we come to that point where we discuss what the best of the year are? Did we have any more categories? Yeah, we have a couple more categories. We have best memoir. Okay. That one's easy. Yeah. Um, Mine is Memorial Drive by Natasha Trethewey. And that one is about a woman whose mom is murdered by her stepfather in Mississippi. And... It happens when she's 18. So I think she is away at college and is called back um, to deal with, I guess, the aftermath of her mother's murder. And she reflects on growing up like her parents are biracial. She's the one I mentioned who I believe was the poet laureate uh, when Barack Obama was president. But she talks about the path and how because of what happened to her, how it informed her poetry and how it led her to poetry and the path uh, that she takes. And it's an exploration of, I guess, the interracial relationship that her parents had back when it was barely legal. I think that they had gotten married elsewhere and were living together. Ultimately, that relationship ended in divorce. She's remained close with her father, but it talks a lot about those dynamics, you know, what it was like to grow up in that time and how little help her mother received. And like I said, just how it informs her life. She is a poet. This is a prose book, but, you know, it, she captures so much detail about how she grew up. And I guess you can just really feel yourself in that time and, and connect with what she's saying. So like I said, it's prose, but it's it's very poetic and, and a really moving book. I wasn't surprised to see that on Barack Obama's list because, I mean, even if he did choose her or not, it, it was still a great book. I've heard really good things about that book. It's just, I mean, it, it, like you said, it's kind of been everywhere on best ofs and everything. So not surprised that you picked that either. Okay, I have uh, a couple of memoirs that I really enjoyed from this year. I read a lot of them. Um, One of them is in the dream house also um, listed earlier in my Goodreads uh, highest rated book of my Goodreads year in review. Um, That is a book about a woman in an abusive relationship with another woman and all these different um, sort of, memories and elements of their relationship imagined through um, the setting of the house that they shared in the college town where they lived. That would make an excellent blow dry book, by the way, because the chapters are short and you can kind of get through a couple of them without really feeling like you're losing continuity in the book. 
I wonder if I did read that as a blow dry book. It's possible. I can't remember. Um, next up was Inside Out by Demi Moore. I just really enjoyed that one. I like celebrity memoirs and that was a good one. Lots of sharing about her life, which turns out to be more interesting than I would have expected. And then I also read Made by Stephanie Land this year. I know that was not a 2020 book, but I read it this year. And I like that one too. That's all about the author's experience living uh, in a homeless shelter and trying to get by with her uh, daughter. She's a single mother working as a maid in Montana. Or I think actually she lives in Montana now. I think at the time maybe she lived in Washington State. So I like that one a lot. All right. We also, before we get to best of the year, we also have best nonfiction. So for best nonfiction, I had notes on a silencing by Lacey Crawford, which I guess was a memoir too, technically. Um, That memoir is about a woman's experience. It was about her experience going to boarding school, I want to say in the middle of New Hampshire and how, how she sexually assaulted while she's at that boarding school. Now, times have probably changed, so hopefully there's locks on women's doors now. But part of the one of the interesting things that I, that I found was that their doors in the school had no locks on them. So she's assaulted more than once. Um, it's all about her life and her decisions that she makes. The rest of her experience in going to school there, she's determined to to finish out her experience at school there because it is predicated on her going to the college of her choice. And I believe she goes to Yale. Uh, And it's just, it was a deeply disturbing book just because it talks so much about how this prestigious boarding school did so much to try to cover up this sexual assault. I mean, even so far as going to do things that would frame her and limit her choices in order to make sure that the information about the school didn't come out. I mean, that's, I'm always struck by how people's first reaction is to protect an institution instead of people, but it happens all the time. And so her story is harrowing, but so well done, so well written. Um, And I guess research, you know, and finding out a lot of what the co- what the high school was hiding at what point and just finding out behind the scenes things that they knew from her medical records and used against her. It was like, it was very interesting book. Okay. I had two for this category. Um, I have the office, which is the oral history of the, <clears throat> of the show, the office, the sitcom. Um, told through lots of people who were involved with it, the actors, the writers, directors, all the people who were involved in the show. I did that on audio. I liked that one a lot. And if you're a fan of the show, it's a must read. And I also really enjoyed a book called Secondhand by Adam Minter about the secondhand economy and where things go when we donate them or give them away or no longer need them and how they end up all over the world through a very complicated global network of buyers and sellers of used goods. Sounds good. Yep. All right. So let's give our best of lists. I mean, you've heard about these books several times, so we won't go into 
too much detail. I mean, if there's anything, Gail, that you want to highlight about any of them, of course, feel free. But yeah, so I have five. (laughs) Really hard time narrowing down. Some of them I've already mentioned even on the show. So I definitely won't get into much about them. Um, I put Uncanny Valley on there which I think I liked a lot more than you did a book about uh, that's also a memoir memoir. Yes. About a, the author's time spent in a couple of different uh, Silicon Valley companies, actually Silicon Alley and Silicon Valley alleys, um, sorry, companies that she worked at during uh, her twenties. And I thought it was a beautifully written book and I just enjoyed seeing a lot of the behind the scenes and as somebody who has worked in, uh, you know, tech and I work for a company that makes an app. It, there were a lot of things in there that I sort of found funny and or familiar. Um, I also really enjoyed a book I read early in the year called the cactus league, uh, by Emily Nemens. And this is a book about baseball um, about spring training happening in Arizona to a fictional MLB team. And it's told through the perspective of multiple different people connected to the team and or connected to baseball in the town. So you've got kind of interlinking stories. The characters sometimes come across each other, sometimes they don't. If you're a baseball fan, it's a fantastic read. And if you're not a baseball fan, I think it would also be a really good read because it's literary fiction. And I just thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Long Bright River, we've mentioned already a few times. Barack Obama had that on his list, and I have that on book I can't put down um, about uh, some unsolved mysteries in a neighborhood in Philadelphia and the author who is trying to find her sister. And it deals with family secrets and abuse and uh, drug addiction. I also really, really enjoyed Normal People by Sally Rooney. I read it and then watched the series on Hulu. I loved them both. I'm not always a big Sally Rooney fan. I did not like her last book, Conversations with Friends, but I really, really enjoyed Normal People. So, Are those the only two she's written? Uh, I think so. I think so. I'm not sure. I don't know if she read anything before Conversations with Friends, but I don't think so. I could be yeah, wrong. I think that might have been her first. Yeah. And then my last one is a book that you mentioned, Nicole, Sing Unburied Sing. Uh, by Jessamyn Ward. And um, it's a beautifully written book, also beautiful on audio, like you said, told through multiple perspectives about um, a family. Uh, The father has been in prison and they're going to go pick him up from prison. And it's told through multiple perspectives, the mother, the, the son, who is kind of coming of age and trying to figure out you know, how he fits in and his relationship with his father, which is complicated, his relationship with his mother who's complicated because she also has issues with drugs. It's just very realistic. And um, I, I love the way the story was told because you saw it from everyone's perspectives and you really had sympathy for every one of them. And it's, you know, there's no, there's no like good and evil. It's, it's just kind of multidimensional story. So those are my five. Okay. I don't, I'm going to just list really quickly because I think that I have more than five. Um, but Memorial Drive by Natasha Trethaway, 
uh, Sing Unburied Sing by Jasmine Singh, Jasmine Ward. <laughs> Say Nothing by Patrick Radden Keefe. And that was the one that I read about the troubles in Ireland. Um, that was a very good nonfiction book. It was my longest book of the year. I believe I listened to half of that on audio. Uh, a Woman Like Her, Sanam Mayer, and One by One by Ruth Ware, I really liked, and Confessions on the 745 by Lisa Unger. Nice. I like that list. And Notes on a Silencing by Lacey Crawford. I mean... All right. Well, since you did so many, I'm going to add one to mine because I thought you were going to give me grief for having more than five. But I have... Gonna, I just want to add Plain Song by Kent Roof to my best of. I, I listed it under best audiobook, but it was a fantastic book in general. So that lands on my best of list too. Yeah, I'm just cutting myself off now. <laughs> I think that of the books that I did read, half just either probably did not resonate with me because this is just a tough time. You know, like I say, 2020 just gets an asterisk in terms of books and what I thought about books just because of my own mindset and where I am. And I don't know why I started saying that. What was I saying? Um, I think you're saying half of them are ones that you really did not work with for you. Right. But then the ones that I did really get through were, were really good. Mm -hmm. So I, I had a lot on my list and there are some others I could mention, but I'm just, just in terms of time. Yeah. Well, we've given love to other books throughout the year on the, on our show. So just because they weren't mentioned in this episode doesn't mean that they weren't good. Right. All right. Well, that is our year in review, our superlative show for 2020. Nicole and I are going to take a little bit of time off over the holidays. We will be back in early January with, uh, what are we going to do in early January? Um, I don't know. I mean, usually give us an update on your challenge. I, we will both probably talk about what we're looking, you know, what we're looking forward to reading in the coming year, any bookish resolutions that we have. Mm, uh, yep. We're going to have March Madness planning will be key for us in order to figure out what happened with the books from last year and if there are any books in common. And I would like, like we had worked on it last year and we'll probably for this year, we'll continue working to make it more interactive and get your opinions on a lot of the books that we have. Um, so yeah, we have some things. I want Gail to do a true crime show. I had mentioned that to her a couple of months ago. So she needs to, she's supposed to be kind of prepping herself and going through to see what books might fit in that category. So we well, have some good stuff. True crime slash thriller, right? Uh, no. I mean, What's a thriller it? is non is fiction, isn't it? Oh, true crime is okay. All right, true crime is. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was really concerned when you asked that, but then I think I figured it out. Yeah, I think you have. I think you have more than you think. Yeah, like right. something like bad blood is true crime. Yeah, right. All right. Good. Well, we wish all of our listeners a very happy holiday season and a safe holiday, healthy holiday. And we look forward to catching up with you guys in 2021. 
hopefully 2021 will be a better year in every way. We are definitely, definitely hoping so. Yeah. So (laughs) I was looking at our reviews that we got in 2020. It, It was our birthday. This podcast is a Sagittarius podcast, which I don't think I had realized until a couple of years ago. Because uh, your birthday is in- why? Because we're both Sagittarians. Yeah, and your birthday is in November, so you're at the early end of it. So when I think I probably was not thinking that you were because you had the November birthday. I was thinking maybe you were Scorpio, but you were not. And it is the holiday season. You know, Christmas is here, Hanukkah is here, and swiftly on the way out. So if you would do us the favor, if you've been listening to the show and you have something to say if you really like it, if you would take some time and go on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to our podcast. And, you know, you could just say you like it, you love it, you know, give us a rating for that. Uh, We usually don't ask. I I always forget to ask (laughs) for people to rate the show, but if you do, it would be much appreciated and a great birthday, Christmas, Hanukkah gift for Gail and me. Yes. And on that note, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.